For those of you that have been following this sort of thing, there's been a lot of news recently about disunity in the church, disunity in specific churches with high-profile, large, and uh, really faithful Bible-believing churches that have struggled recently and that have had high-profile disunity, disagreement. Uh, But this is not something that is uh, necessarily new in the last month or so. For those of us who have friends at other churches, perhaps uh, all of us have heard stories from a variety of different churches or seen evidence ourselves of tension in churches, rising tension, disunity, uh, uh, a spirit of fracture. And we've, we see this, thank you, we see this reflected in large ministries to small ministries. We see this certainly, of course, in our nation on a political level. And we see this as well in our families. We see this reflected in families in which families that are close have cut each other off over a variety of different, uh, different issues. Perhaps each one of us knows various people who are no longer speaking to one or more members of their family for a variety of different reasons. We've seen this rise in disunity, and often it is uh, seen or uh, uh, defended as a defense of Scripture. I think it's very important for us as we come together as a body, as we come together as Christians, that we understand the value of unity, but we understand a deeper principle. And this is a principle that does not simply apply in the body of Christ. It's not simply about unity in a specific local church body, this is a principle that is going to sound very, very difficult to swallow the way when I first put it to you. And that is the necessity of pleasing other people. Now you might say, hold on a second, James. Hold on a second. I know about, there's a, there's a variety of verses that spring to mind about pleasing God rather than others. And that's true. Of course, certainly. The first commandment, we please God first. And there's others who will say, well, James, hold on, you're you're saying something that is counterintuitive because being a people pleaser sounds like fear of man. We know that fear of man is dangerous. And furthermore, you might say, you know, and I see in many Christians Quite a bit too much of pleasing people. Quite a bit too much of, of this sort of attitude. Why, why are we talking about this? Well, we're talking about it because it's scriptural. Now, as we get into this, we will, uh, I will uh, hasten at various points to make sure that we understand this is to be a balanced view of this principle. Fact is, of course, there is a countervailing principle as well, and we all understand it. 
We all understand that just as God loves unity among Christians, God also occasionally calls for separation. Sometimes separation from specific believers who are in open sin and who are, uh, who are not repentant in a church discipline type context. And each of us understands there is a time for separation perhaps from a particular body if God calls us away. There's even a time of separation between different believers. We see uh, various points in the New Testament where God would separate those who had different ministries into different ministry fields, different harvest fields. And there is a point in which is the case. There's also a point as well in which uh, our very uh, foundation in the Lord will be an uh, offense. And that's what we're going to get in. We'll get into that. We'll mention that. But it's very, it's very important that we say this. This is not unity for which the word of God, the, the principles of the faith are set aside. Yet nevertheless, we are called by Scripture that every one of us please his neighbor. Now there's a limiting principle here. This is the limiting principle that I just mentioned. For his good to edification. There is a limiting principle. But you know, we have a tendency sometimes with commands that are difficult, commands that run contrary to our interests, to spend a whole lot more time on the limiting principle than the principle. I'll give you a specific example. There's a command in Scripture about radical generosity, giving to everyone that asks. That's a command in Scripture. Now, there are limiting principles, are there not? We understand that this is not a call to bad stewardship. Somebody comes up to, your house, uh, to you and says, can I have the deed to your house so that you and your family can be homeless? No, this isn't to say uh, uh, that's form of bad stewardship or foolishness. But you know what? We don't want to give things away usually. Isn't that fair to say? Usually we don't want to give things away. So if somebody's approaching me on the street, where's my mind going? How can I fit this in the limiting principle? Right? How can I fit this into the way where I don't have to do what I don't want to do, and yet I can feel righteous about doing so? Well, in verse 2, there's a general principle, and then there's the limiting principle, uh, the general uh, command, and then the limiting principle. And we have a tendency to spend a whole lot of time on the for his good to edification. Sometimes we forget the necessity of pleasing our neighbor. But we're going to get into that today. Because it is a command. And it's a command that is based in the second commandment. It is based on radical, supernatural, Christ-like Love of others. That's what we're called to. We're called to a love that is beyond our comprehension. To be, to be absolutely clear, we cannot fully comprehend the depths of Christ's love. It is beyond our comprehension and it is beyond any possibility of us being able to naturally live it out. And how does this look? How is this to look? Well, 
This is to look like the early church was. The early church looked. This is to look as we're seeing it described here. And it's one of intense unity. It's not one of unity in the sense of simply no open strife. It's not unity in the sense of annoyed forbearance. It's unity in terms of self-sacrificial self-denial. That is what we are called to do. And we are called to do it with a very specific example, that of Christ himself. And as we get into this, I, I hope this is convicting to you as it is for me. Because this is something that obviously each one of us, each one of us may be stronger or weaker in to greater degrees, but each one of us needs to work on it more, especially in the time and place that we currently live and minister. So, let's start by talking about this principle. We ought not to please ourselves. Now, the word please there means literally what it sounds like. To please somebody. To be agreeable. To be agreeable. Now, again, what is our tendency? What's my tendency reading this the first time? To jump right to the limiting principle. Well, we can't be all that agreeable. Because... People are going to want us to agree to all sorts of things that are contrary to Scripture. And, of course, that is the limiting principle. We, we hold strong to the principles of Scripture. But this is to be an attitude. This is to be a posture that we have in dealing with others. And you know what? It's not simply a principle that has to do uh, or that is related to other Christians. We, we know that Paul said, I am become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Well, the Apostle Paul was saying that he was to be attempting to please others, to be agreeable in ways that are not contrary to Scripture, that he is to himself give up all of the uh, characteristics, all of the cultural aspects, all of the likes and dislikes that were not related to Scripture, if that is what is necessary to provide the gospel to somebody else. It's a limiting principle, and yet it is also the basis for the principle. We are to please our neighbor so that they might be edified. Our first desire is for their edification. And the word edification there, it's related to the word edifice. It's literally for their building, for their construction. Our first desire ought to be for the edification and the good of others, for the building up of others. Now, I think if we truly were to think about it and think about tensions in our life, tensions that we have had, strifes that we have had, and we'll get into the subject of strife in a little bit, we will find that many of, the, many of those times, if we were truly acknowledging it, 
as much as we dressed it up with Scripture, there was a part of ourselves who was engage, that was engaging in strife to please ourselves. To please ourselves. Not that it wasn't painful, not that it was enjoyable to us, but at a certain point, what we were doing is protecting ourselves or our own interest. That is why this principle is not by any means at contradiction with the biblical principles about correction or about church discipline. What does Paul say the desire is for church discipline? What is the desire if we correct another brother? It is to restore them. It's to build them up. Yet the attitude that is always to go in, uh, that we are always to go in with, is one of meekness, is one of humility. That is the posture that we have. And that is, uh, when that is not present, when we are find it very difficult to be meek, when we find it very difficult to be humble, we can be sure that some part of that correction is motivated from a part of our heart that is carnal, that is uh, prideful, that is seeking our own. And this pleasing others, this pleasing others is actually to be a mark of spiritual strength. Feels like weakness to a lot of, uh, a lot of us sometimes, and that's how we, we feel it sometimes. We feel sometimes that pleasing others means that we are being walked over. And sometimes we feel as if pleasing others is meant to be almost, in a sense, a compact. Listen, I please you. I lay myself down for you until I see you don't have interest in doing the same for me. And there is certainly a time and place, again, for separation. If there is a situation of abuse or exploitation, there is a time to separate, one's, uh, to separate ourselves. I think the perfect example of this is that when the Apostle Paul was stoned and it happened more than once, he tended to move to a different town. There is a place for that. There is a place for that to exist. And yet, so often... Uh, it feels weak to accept reproach without hitting back. Our natural inclination is to show our strength with our response. You're not going to treat me that way. But we see in the very first verse of this chapter that the bearing the infirmities of the weak, pleasing our neighbor, is to be a mark of spiritual strength stands to reason. If you are building or you're helping another person build, it takes strength to build. And therefore, it is necessary that if you are helping another person uh, build, you are attempting to please them. You are attempting to build them up. Now, this is the principle. This is a principle that uh, 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 God desires to walk in. And what is the example? Well, the example is Christ. Of course, Christ is our example 
in, in these character traits, but specifically here right now in terms of looking to please others rather than ourselves. For even Christ, please not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. And in verse 5, we see a similar principle. Now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one towards another, According to Christ Jesus, and according there means after the example of, after the example of Christ Jesus. Well, what is Christ Jesus' example of pleasing others, not himself? Well, it starts even from the earliest time in which he chose a life of deprivation. He chose to not have the characteristics, physical, financial, even in terms of long life, that would be pleasing. In fact, I I think it would be fair to say that for most of the life that Jesus Christ chose, if we were being honest with ourselves, if we could choose our lives, we would not choose them to mimic Jesus Christ. If I were to say right now, listen, I'm going to give you the opportunity with some form of new technology to start over again, but you're going to be able, like a video game, to set the parameters. I used to create video game characters. You know how I I would create them? Seven feet tall, 400 pounds, but also the fastest person in the world. I thought that that would make me very good at football or basketball, and I thought that that would be fantastic. Well, if we were choosing, we would probably not choose to be weak. We would probably not choose to be homeless and poor. We'd probably not choose to be rejected. We would probably not choose to be undesirable. We would probably not choose to have a life without uh, meaningful uh, uh, family ties. Think about that. Think about Jesus consciously depriving himself of a wife and children. We would not probably not choose to have a life in which torture, rejection, pain by the people closest to us at times would be something that we would be involved in. And in which separation from our Father, the source of our consolation, would be at the end of that life. We'd probably not choose that. I think that'd be safe to say. And yet, Christ chose these things because, and again, this is where we have the best example of how this form of pleasing one's neighbor is a sign of ultimate strength. Christ could have stopped it at any time. Think about this. This is going to uh, seem kind of a radical idea. It seemed like kind of a radical idea when I thought of it. Christ suffered that evil be done to him. He suffered it. He allowed it. Now again, then we start thinking about our lives. We we don't want to allow evil to be done to us, and then we very righteously say, well, we want to stop evil, and that's why we're doing it. Christ allowed it. Christ allowed murder to be done to him, torture to be done. Christ did not use his power, his deity, to stop it. 
physically. But think about this. Even not, uh, setting aside Christ's ability to call 10,000 angels. Think about Christ's defense of himself in court or what was functioning as a form of kangaroo court. Does anyone doubt that Jesus Christ had every ability with incredible words to convince them of his righteousness, to convince them of his innocence? Does anyone doubt that? I don't doubt that for a second. He chose silence. Does anyone have any doubt that Jesus Christ had, the, had a way to stop Judas from going to betray him? Jesus Christ had a way had the way to stop all of these things, and he chose to allow them to occur. In a sense, with meekness, he allowed Judas to please himself when it came to choosing silver over Jesus Christ. He allowed that to occur. He allowed the reproaches to fall on him. And furthermore, in the wildest, the wildest example of this, the one that is so mind-blowing to me whenever I think of it, not only did he allow these reproaches to occur, but in those reproaches, he was laying down his life for those committing the reproaches. Now we see in Stephen an incredible example of one praying for forgiveness for those putting him to death. We see in Jesus the ultimate example of one giving the potential for forgiveness by the very acts being committed on him. And we think of that, and then we think of our own stripes. We think of our own examples. We think of our own lives. And we think of how often we seek to please ourselves. I think of this. I was convicted in thinking of this. We ought to seek the good of others and not please ourselves. It's very, very simple, perhaps, for people of a certain mindset. Perhaps we could call it the Minnesota mindset in a lot of different ways. To allow others to please themselves as long as they allow us to please ourselves. But it takes supernatural force for us to seek to please others and not to please ourselves. And this is matters not simply of personality. That's difficult enough in and of itself to bear with one another including people that we don't get along with, maybe who don't treat us the best, we find annoying, we don't share common interests with. Now again, this is, there is a time in which separation needs to be made. And yet, we ourselves ought to bear with them, do good to those who do evil towards us, seek to do good, Seek to do good in their lives, to edify them, even as they seek to harm us, even as they proclaim themselves 
our enemies. Yeah, this is very difficult. Very difficult. In, in fact, I'll go a step further. It's impossible without Christ. To see Christ's example of laying down his life completely, of dying to all of his own interests, to please them or those around him, is one that should uh, be quite convicting. This applies, as I said, not simply in a personality way, uh, way but also, it, think about how annoying it, Jesus Christ could have found people like Judas or, the, or Peter. It's kind of annoying to read it even after the fact. Man, Peter, boy, It'd be annoying to be around that guy all the time, always blowing off his mouth about how great he was going to be and how loyal he was going to be, even as Jesus knew, no, you're going to betray me. I don't want to hear all this stuff about how great you are and how great you're going to be. Is there anything more annoying than that, somebody who thinks they're much greater than they are? Not simply in matters of personality, but also in matters of provision. How many of us have felt the annoyance of being called to give and give and give without gratitude or without giving in return. It gets exhausting. I give and I give and I give, perhaps emotionally, perhaps in terms of a willing ear for somebody's problems, perhaps in actual physical ways. I give money, I give time, I give actual Uh, uh, good things to this person. I seek to build them up. And I get nothing coming back. Well, let's look at Jesus Christ and his provision. His provision everywhere he went of ways that would not simply meet people's spiritual needs, but physical needs. Jesus Christ, who didn't have a place to lay his head much of the time, giving radically to the people around him meeting their needs, healing them, giving them bread, and also, of course, always directing them to the gospel. In terms of uh, personality, in terms of provision, but also in terms of spiritual things. And sometimes this is where it gets hardest. This is at the root of many uh, uh, splits in churches, is something that we feel that we can have a good faith argument that we are in the right. And this is a spiritual matter. This isn't just that I dislike that person. It's not just that I don't get along with that person. It's that we disagree on something. Well, if we step back to the the previous chapter, we see that even sometimes in matters of spiritual things, there are times in which we, it is incumbent upon us to please our brother. That may occur in a variety of different ways. This doesn't mean that we act in a way that we believe is sinful in order to please our brother. But it does mean at times that we do not judge our brother in the way that he is serving the Lord. There's a time for that. That's a difficult thing. Think about how difficult it would have been if you were in the time of Romans 14 to not judge your brother, to not allow this to become a significant source of tension. Clearly, we are reading about it because it was a source of tension. And think about 
in the, time, the, the, the day and time in which this was being written, how difficult this message would be to receive. Wait, so you're telling me that it's okay to go to where the priests are selling meat that's been sacrificed to idols, and just so I can get a better deal, get something that was blessed with the name of some false god. Just so I can get a little bit of a better deal on my food. I'm going to go to the place where this false deity's name is being proclaimed in a sense because this meat is coming from these these services. And I'm going to eat that? I'm going to serve it to others? Well, what what is the message? Judge not. Judge not. What is also the message, though? This is another important thing to remember. And yet, judge not, don't, uh, that person is going to give account of himself to God. But also, if you are the stronger brother, as it were, you say, this is just meat. This came from a dead animal. It will meet my protein needs. It will meet, meet, meet my vitamin needs. It will give me energy to go through the day. It's of no spiritual consequence. Nevertheless, It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. For those that don't eat meat, do not judge. For those that do eat meat, to seek to not give offense, even if that means giving up things that you feel no particular conviction about. This is something that very clearly somebody would say, hold on a second, this is... This is a matter of serving God. This is a spiritual matter. And what we read here is, please your neighbor, don't please yourself. Now, this isn't simply exemplified by Jesus Christ. It's exemplified by God himself. Now, Jesus Christ never compromised the word of the gospel. Jesus Christ was not afraid to and was not shy to proclaim the word of God, right? I think that's safe to say. Jesus Christ was not afraid to go into the temple and drive out the money changers. Jesus Christ was not afraid to call somebody a whited sepulcher. And yet what we see in Jesus Christ is meekness and a desire to build up the people around him, even if that meant dying to his own rights. Well, what is the word that gets repeated here in verses 4 and 5? For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus. Again, after the example of Christ Jesus. We serve a God of patience and consolation. What is patience? Patience is long-suffering. It's bearing with people who are uh, infuriating. It's bearing with people who cause us pain, who sin against us. You know what? It's even bearing with sinners. Now again, there is a time for church discipline. There is a time with such an one, no, not to eat. That is definitely a principle. And yet, what do we see with Jesus Christ? We see 
a man who was willing to go eat with publicans and sinners. We see a man who's willing to sit down one-on-one with this woman at the well who had this shameful past and present and actually spend the time to seek to please her, to edify her, to speak to her in a way that would lead to her salvation because he saw and valued her soul. That is, his desire was for her to be built up, uh, for her to uh, glorify God with her life and with her words. That's the end of all of this, is the the whole point of this passage is, in verse 6, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reason that we are willing to lay ourselves down, to pour ourselves out, to be trampled upon, to let nothing in us be an impediment to unity. As much as as lieth in you, be at peace with all men. Now that doesn't mean, again, that we compromise the gospel, but it does mean that nothing from me, nothing from my flesh, nothing from my desires or wants is going to be an impediment to God's work or to the good of others. Boy, that's an incredibly difficult thing. Think about the things that have caused us disunity. We have disunity over sports teams. We have disunity about where we want to go for lunch. We have disunity and there's been disunity about what time we're going to celebrate a certain occasion. Disunity over all manner of things that if we really examine them, them, we'd say, is this worth impeding the work of God? I don't know the ins and outs of the issues in a lot of these churches that have been having struggles or difficulties, but from what I've heard, I'd say, Generally, most of those issues are not worth impeding the cause of Christ about. They're not worth fighting about in a way that brings uh, a body apart or brings uh, the work of God in uh, in a certain body into uh, a standstill that causes even perhaps some to walk away from the faith. Generally, most of those things are things of no lasting significance. There may be of things of Uh, that seem of great uh, significance in today's day and age, but matters of of politics, matters of uh, even public health are issues that have caused great disunity in the past. When we have that uh, and allow that to lead to disunity with brothers and sisters, we need to ask ourselves, whether we are truly seeking to please our neighbor for his good to edification. When we are slow to receive one another, whether we are following Christ's example, who received us to the glory of God. I think it's very important, and as a thought exercise, I think would be useful, to at some point this week stop and think, Who would I have difficulty being unified with? 
Perhaps, who do I have difficulty being unified with? Are there members of my body or of my family that I am not unified with? But then, go further and say, which other people would I have difficulty being unified with? Being able with one mind and one mouth to glorify God together with. Perhaps it's people who believe or think a different way in certain, uh, in certain areas of philosophy or politics, in terms of different, have different practices. Perhaps, if we're honest with ourselves, there's a variety of different types of people that we don't uh, automatically or easily unify with. That's natural as human beings. But the fact is that we are called to follow in Christ's footsteps. We are not called to follow in even the most exalted version of our own natures. That's not what we're called to fulfill. There is a high limit to the amount that even the most meek and naturally tolerant person can abide. Even the most self-effacing person as a natural matter is going to have a limit. It's going to have a limit if not in actually resisting, at the very least, being able to love somebody else when they are uh, acting a certain way towards them. And therefore, our example is to be Christ. One who, even while under the torture of those around him, even when abandoned by all of his followers and friends, even when falsely accused, even when railed upon, even when, in a sense, of course, Christ knew and uh, 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 had faith in the carrying on of his ministry, but in a sense, even the, the uh, attempted destruction of his ministry didn't cause him to change his attitude of love and his actions of sacrifice to even those who were doing him wrong. And when that settles in, an understanding of that reality settles in, that's the time for us to hold up our own example against that mirror and say, how, how do I compare? When, those, when people do me wrong, when people resist me, when people disagree with me, when people even perhaps have a different uh, 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 principle that they follow in, in their daily life, spiritually, how do I react? Is my reaction Christ-like or is it carnal? Now, in terms of individual applications, with individual people, in individual situations, that is something that must be spirit-led, of course. Because there is a time in which we must separate from certain people. There is a time in which we must go away, either uh, uh, to protect ourselves, as, as people in the New Testament did when they went from, from town to town, as a measure of self-protection, or to go away to protect the body, cast somebody out perhaps, for a time to protect the body, 
Perhaps there is a time in which edification uh, requires to bring uh, uh, some sort of uh, uh, issue to a brother or sister's attention under Matthew 18. Uh, if there's been an offense or if there's some sort of sin that is unrepented of, these things all exist. And yet, the attitude, the heart wherewith we do these things, whether it comes, whether we are required by the Spirit, whether we are led by the Spirit to forbear, whether we are led by the Spirit to give up our own rights, our own desires for somebody else, whether we are called to uh, coexist in certain areas of different conviction by the Spirit, or whether we are called to not do so, the heart is the same. And the heart is in pleasing others, not ourselves. In edifying others. And I think that we need to examine ourselves, therefore, in two different ways in this mirror of Christ's example. First, am I allowing my own heart, my own desires, my own rights, my own pride to interfere with the unity that God wants me to see between fellow believers or even with the potential for unity with non-believers. Think about how easy it would have been for the disciples to put a religious gloss on why they didn't have to speak to that woman at the well when in fact they just didn't want to speak to her because she was a Samaritan and probably would have looked bad to their reputation to speak to her. Think about how easy that is. We need to examine ourselves and our interactions, our attitudes towards others. But furthermore, we also need to examine our heart. Even if God has called us to be separated from somebody or certain people, even if God has called us to uh, approach a brother or sister with an offense or approach a brother or sister with a correction, What's our heart? If we do things that are externally good, but motivated internally by a heart that is not pure, that is what we call pharisaical. That is hypocritical. That is actually a desire to please ourselves rather than others. That is our heart. Our heart is meant to be love first of God, First of uh, uh, service and worship and glorifying God. And second, of building up and edifying one another. And I think if we truly examine ourselves, I was doing a little bit of this this morning, we will see a variety of different areas in which perhaps... We have a strong scriptural conviction, and God's desire is not to shake, shake that conviction or, or uh, make us change our minds, but in which our attitudes towards those that are without has not been, has not been godly, has not been edifying, has not been uh, uh, a heart of pleasing others for his good to edification. So, as we go forth into this week, 
We've been talking at Camp Shatek, we talked at Camp Shatek extensively about evangelism. And one of the principles that I took away of that, uh, that is essential for evangelism, is letting the gospel be the message, not James Magnuson being the message. I am nothing, and therefore anything in me that could interfere with the gospel should be placed aside. That's not simply true when it comes to evangelism, but also with discipleship, also with edification and unification of the body. Let us examine ourselves and thus go forward that we might serve God and glorify God in one mind and one voice with each other and receive one another as Christ received us to the glory of God. That should be our heart, that should be our practice, that should be our spirit-filled walk on a daily basis as members of Straight Gate Church, as Christians, as individuals, as we go forward. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Jesus, I thank you uh, today for your example. Lord, these things are written that we might have hope, that we might have patience. Lord, we see that your uh, example of allowing, allowing yourself to be reviled, allowing yourself to be reproached, to be opposed, Lord, even to be tortured and killed, to be abandoned. Lord, that example we can see with hope led to Uh, that godly example that you exemplified led to your word going forth mightily. It led to great edification. It led to great building. It led to the building of the people around you. And Lord, I pray that you would give us that same attitude, that meekness, that that, uh, desire to please others, that love that can only come from you. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, allow us, the scripture says, that, and you said, that the uh, way we will be known as your disciples is the way that we love one another. Lord, I pray that that would be said of each one of us and our body as a whole, that we are known by the truly self-sacrificial love that we have one for another. And Lord, that that would turn many to you. Lord, that's ultimately our goal. That's ultimately our hope, to turn others to you, and for those that have been turned to you, to build them up and that they might join with us in glorifying you. I pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. Well, let's stand for a, a close.